I thought we might do a Frithcast. Really? Yeah. You know, Sounds I thought, like a jolly good idea. Well, I thought, you know... I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm now on the sidekick and everything, but I thought just this oh, once... I not my sidekick! <laughs> Woman! I thought just this once, I'm going to take charge, and I'm going to say, I've decided we're going to do a Frithcast. I mean, I know you said to me earlier on that you want to do a Frithcast this evening. Yeah. So, you know, it, but I don't have to tell them that. Go on, then. You, I'm you, just do, gonna, a, you do a Frithcast. I'm just going to do... Right, Go ahead. I'm going to be assertive now. You do your thing. Right? Be assertive. I'm going to do Big a Frithcast. Big girl pants on. You do it. Big girl pants. Off you go. Uh, no. Anyway, um... um You've put me off now with talk of pants. <laughs> God, if that's all it takes. <laughs> Didn't even mention Tessa Thompson. No. Hmm. Are you going to get on with this Frithcast or what? Not anymore, no. <laughs> I would have done, but you mentioned Tessa Thompson. Oh, OK, fine. Shall I start us off? You start us off, because you can remember what episode number it is, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's. I know it's. Uh, I know it's like sixty something. It is. Yeah, it is sixty something. Seven. Not quite. Five. Uh. Uh-uh. Three. No. Other way. Eight. Yes. Sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Awesome. Yeah. You ready? I am absolutely ready. I am. I am. Champing at the bit. Lovely listeners, Kate is ready. I'm, I'm ready. not going to mention what she's doing to a bit, but welcome I'm to Frithcast, <laughs> <laughs> episode 68. Hello. Welcome to episode 68 of Frithcast. 68. Welcome 68! around the virtual campfire. still doesn't work. It stopped working about, like, 17, didn't it? Yeah. No. yeah. Reoccurring joke that goes <laughs> flat. Welcome around the virtual campfire. Come on in. Pull up a log. Warm your knees. Grab well, a coffee and or drink of choice. Welcome to the geekery and heathenry that is Frithcast. Hola, Commander, have a muffin. Hola, Commander, have a muffin. My shinies will tempt you. Are you looking for adventure? Yes. I bet my shinies will tempt you. That's an offer you really can't refuse, lovely listeners. Buckle up, buttercups. Come on in. Welcome to Frithcast episode 68. I'm Suzanne. I'm a heathen. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, that's that's probably the shortest introduction I've ever heard you do. Thanks. I think. Um, I mean, it's it's functional. Yeah. It's concise. That's what I was going for. Robust. <laughs> Robust. Precise. Yeah. And something for the evening. <laughs> yes. One of those, you know, short, practical, functional introduction. Hi, name. This and is f- what I am. Done. And a selection of the finest cutlery. I'm Kate. I'm not a heathen. See, mine was slightly longer because it was a negative. Yeah, got to put that in there. So I had to put the knot in as well. Yeah. I got knotted. Did not need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 68 of 
Fraithcast. This one is a slight follow-on from episode 67, so where some of our episodes you can listen to out of sequence. This one is probably going to be best understood if you preface it with episode 67, where we started looking at the interactions between Vikings and Christians. That big clash of faiths that happens in the North and pretty much everywhere else, it's complicated. The conversion of Europe. The conversion of Northern Europe is Northern Europe. complicated. Mm. So for this session around the virtual campfire, I thought we'd have a look at one of the big figures involved in the conversion of Europe from its paganistic heathen beginnings-ish to Christianity. It's, it's, it's pagan status quo <clears throat> at yes. the time. Yeah. Yep. It's pagan status quo, status quo at the time with the three-chord special all in there <laughs> and its conversion to Christianity. And we talked about top-down conversion and bottom-up conversion yep. and the fact that it doesn't happen overnight like a set of dominoes. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. So we're going to talk about one of the figures involved in that very complicated process. He's known as Ansgar with a G. Okay. Ansgar. Anskar with a K. Yep. Or you might see him written as Anshar or Oscar. Okay. Depending on which country you're looking at. He's a gentleman called Ansgar, now known as Saint Ansgar. Spoilers, sorry, you'll work it out. Don't worry, the journey is worth it. Okay. He's known as the Apostle for the North or the Apostle in the North. All right. Again, a bit of a spoiler <coughs> for later on. Can I just throw in, just as an aside, when you say he's known as St. Ansgar and Anskar, yeah. it's, it's quite interesting because it parallels Latin. Mm. Like when Julius Caesar was just sort of coming on the scene and, and so forth, but yeah, all, yeah. The way, all the way up, 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 up until sort of sometime after, I, I don't know when they, when they started di uh, distinguishing actually. G and C were basically the same letter. Oh, okay. So when we have, when you have like Gaius... Julius Caesar, the G at the beginning of Gaius and the C at the beginning of Caesar were basically treated as the same letter. So you often find people are, there are two names, like um, you find Gaius and you find Caius. And they're, okay, they're, yeah, they're yeah. essentially the same <laughs> the same root. And you have a name, I'm never sure whether you pronounce the G on it, but you have Canaius or Gnaeus. Oh, I've seen that, that yeah. GN one, yes. That's right. And they are, again, the same. So I, did, I didn't know whether it was like a mm. transcription thing. Maybe yeah, it, it might was just, be, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. It uh, comes from an era when they didn't have spell check. Yeah. And they the, had the monks in monasteries very many miles apart, writing things down and writing things down the best they could. And drinking mead. And yeah, maybe drinking a little bit of mead. But we digress on <laughs> the mead, which is a very, very worthy subject. Indeed. But we're going to talk about Ansgar. Sure. Now, Ansgar reminds me of Zap Brannigan from Futurama. <laughs> does, and, and he does me as well, because every time you talk about it... <laughs> yeah. Now, Zap Brannigan from Futurama, the reason he reminds me of Ansgar is the fact that this this, this eternal optimism that never quite works. No, he's, he's absolutely sort of go-getting, dynamic, bring it on, let's go and sort this out. And, and it, and, and it always just, just doesn't work. Always falls apart. For, for some reason or other, it never works. But he's never despondent about it. He just keeps on trying. Because he's a space adventurer. He's a space hero. Yes. And space heroes don't get despondent. They just they do. Just, they just do. Mm. Like, you know, it's Ace Rimmer, smoke me a kipper. It's that kind of... <laughs> And he's very much that sort of unshakable belief that he is doing it 
you know, he will continue to do this thing. Yeah. And this thing that he's continuing to do is is not conquer Leela and finally get her to go out with him. It's convert the entire of Northern Europe to Christianity. I'm not sure which is actually the more difficult task. I'm thinking Leela. <laughs> I've seen those boots. It's just going to give you a kick in. It's not going to be good. True enough. Yeah, so he's either got to go into raging Northmen territory mm-hmm. or he's got to try and convince Leela of the Valour. You'll know Zap Brannigan has a very long-suffering aide called Kiff. He does. Who is just totally world-weary, has to write down everything that Zap's up to and tries to keep up with these mad hatter schemes. Yeah, and he's, he's the one that's, tri- that's, that's sort of following, him, following along, rolling his eyes and trying to fix everything that Zap's made a yes, mess of. Yes, just going into... Well, in, in parallel to this, mm-hmm. Ansgar also has... A little helper running around after him called Rimbolt, who is just the most fabulous name. Rimbolt is basically, a, he's another monk and he ends up following Ansgar and chronicling all of what he does. Yeah. This becomes important later. Now, I know last episode we started talking a little bit about Adam of Bremen and the fact that he saw the temple at Uppsala. Yes. And my little creaky, foggied out brain might have mentioned that Adam of Bremen was... Ansgar's sidekick, yeah. his chronicler. And I'd like to put a correction in here. It's when I've gone and looked it up, Adam of Bremen is a little bit later on. He does see the temple at Uppsala, but it's Rimbolt that is Ansgar's chronicler. He's and little Kiff character that runs around after him trying to Rimbolt's figure everything the, the, the out. Rimbolt's the primary sort of hanger on. Rimbolt is the primary around, hanger yeah. on. So let us start with the life of Ansgar. Okay. So Ansgar is born in 801. So 801. He's, he's kind of right bank smack when the Vikings are doing their Vikingy thing. Yeah. You get the birth of Ansgar. I always think they, because they started out in around about, was it 7, 790? Something like that? 793, 794. Seven, is... I, ah, no, it's 793, isn't it? Because I remember 793 because 793 BC mm. is when Rome was founded. Oh, okay. Because the Roman dating system, well, the the, 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 the system that's subsequently used, it wasn't used by the Romans, but the, 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 the AUC dating system, Aberbe Condita, is fixed on that point. So, it's, so it's, the seven, it's, it's the current year plus 793. Oh, okay. Okay. So Ansgar is born in 801. Mm-hmm. And he's born in France in 801. So he's educated in France. And he becomes a monk in a monastery in France. All right. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. Kind of educated dude doing his thing. And he's at a monastery called Corby in France. C-O-R-B-I-E. Not to be confused with Corby, C-O-R-B-Y, which is a place in Northamptonshire. Northamptonshire. Yeah. yeah. No, not that Corby. The okay. other Corby, the one in France. Monastery, kind of nice. Settles there for about three years. Mm-hmm. After three years... There's a whole lot of politics going on at high level. You have Emperor Louis the Pious, Emperor Louis the First. See, I was just about to go, politics in the church? Surely not. Lots of politics in the church. And you have a a deposed Danish king. Okay. Comes to Louis the Pious, goes, help, help, rescue. And Louis the Pious goes, hmm. Danish king converts to Christianity and wants to go back to retake his kingdom in Denmark, but wants missionaries to go with him. And part of the deal with Louis the Pious, the Emperor Louis the Pious, is mm. that he takes missionaries back to Denmark 
to start part of that top-down conversion. Because he that figures that's going to get him the, the power back over his, or the influence back over his former lands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So for some reason, this monk in a monastery in the middle of France, in Corbian, France, gets picked out of obscurity to become a missionary in Denmark. Because, wow. Because reasons. Mm. So he goes to Denmark with okay. the deposed Danish king and starts trying to do his missionary preaching the gospel thing. Doesn't really work. Right? Doesn't really stick. Does it kind it, of, it fails pointily? Mostly, yeah. It kind of results in a lot of confusion and there's not a lot of headway made. Okay. Ansgar is basically undetermined. Undeterred? Sorry, the other one. Yeah. Undeterred. Undeterred. Ansgar is basically undeterred. So when the Swedish kings ask for Christian ministries, yep. a few years later, he gets sent to Sweden. Okay. Now, you've got to imagine that this is like the, you know, it's 830-something. Yeah. To get to Sweden from Denmark means you're going to have to travel there on foot, by boat. It's not like it is nowadays. You're travelling either on foot or you're travelling by horse at the fastest. You're going to have to cross the Skagerrak. Yeah, that too. Big pair of stilts. Indeed. Monk on stilts. Mm. Do the thing. I don't know whether so. I pronounced that right. I just love that name. <laughs> The the, the, um, the the channel between Denmark and Sweden. Yeah. Sweden, so, Norway. I don't know. I can't remember whether he actually goes back to France before he's sent out to Sweden or he just gets sent straight from Denmark to Sweden. Mm. I can't remember. But he gets... He goes through all sorts of hardships between Denmark and Sweden. Okay. Including getting splondulied by pirates. Ooh. Now, he has got assistant number one at this point. Right. And this is where assistant number one cops for it. Oh dear. In the pirate attack. So he did have an assistant and books and all his robes and everything else to go to the King of Sweden and start doing this one of these top-down conversions. Yeah. What he ended up doing was just arriving soaking wet through with no assistant, no books, no clothes, no robes, no accoutrements, no nothing, because the pirates have nicked it all. <sighs> and he's it. He's the only one left out of this wee little mission north to Sweden. This is not good. <laughs> the only one that survives the whole thing. This is not a good start. But when he gets to the court of King Bjorn, he's received quite cordially and starts about doing his, you know, being a missionary thing. Yeah. Bit difficult without a book. But yeah, I'm I mean, guessing he knows he makes, it. Yeah, I'm guessing he makes ways around it. Mm. Less than two years after he gets sent to Sweden, he gets recalled to his monastery. Okay which is in France, gets a wee telegram, Dear Ansgar, come home to the monastery, tar. Put the meatballs down, make your way back through all the pirates and the hardships and up the mountain, down the mountain, through the lake, round the lake, in the woods, out the woods, down the swamp, over the hills, go home. <laughs> Love monastery people. Stop. Yeah. You said it was a telegram, so I know... It has only, a stop in it. I know telegrams always have to finish with stop. Yes. Stop missioning. Stop. Stop missioning, stop. Love you lot, stop. Love Abbott, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Come home. So he gets recalled. Abbott says come home. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> <those> he does. <laughs> Very good. Sorry. So he gets recalled back and he's invested to become the abbot of New Corby. I have no idea what happens to the old Corby or just Corby. Okay. But he becomes the abbot of New Corby. 
very posh. On the back of two years of Swedish missionary damp, work. Damp northern missionary work. Yes, okay. damp northern missionary work. Less than two years. Less than two years, of okay. damp northern oh, missionary work. And also because he's a total invulnerable, you know, he's not been stabbed, shot, poisoned or otherwise. I suppose. Living among the Northmen. I suppose there is something to be said for that, yeah. He's also made the Bishop of Hamburg. Wow. It's pretty big. That is big. Now, so he's got an abbot of New Corby and also a bishopric, which is a fairly big piece of territory for him to do his thing with. But he's still, you know, he's got more adventuring up in the north to do yet. He's still got a bit more to go. He's got a hankering. He's got, well, he doesn't, but he gets given a hankering, if that makes sense. There's a character who's also around at the time called the Pope. Maybe familiar to some of you. Wait, wait, wait. A character called the Pope. Yes. There's a character called the Pope, lives in a nice big wee house. He's been going on a long time, hasn't he? Just a bit. Because he's still around now. He is. Dread Pirate Roberts, but religious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, the Pope. And Ansgar goes to go see the Pope in his wee nice little house. Yep. You know, nice Roman countryside, doing his thing, having a bit of a suntan. His, his little Vatican thing. His wee little Vatican thing. Yeah. Now you've got to imagine the distance between his sea in Hamburg, his the sea, S-E-E sea, not yeah, the yeah, sea his, of Hamburg. His, his religious sea. territory, yeah. His religious territory in Hamburg and Rome. That's like, That's... I don't know, better part of 600 miles. It's like an hour's flight. Yeah. So that's a fair bit. If you're going to go see somebody from Hamburg to Rome, it's a fair bit of a distance yeah. to travel on foot and or horse, however he was doing it. And it's going to be fairly hazardous territory, I would have thought, at that yeah, time. It's, I mean, it's not... I mean, all of the Havamal verses tell us when you go outside, you watch and you wait and you greet travellers because it's pants outside the walls. But he, this guy is travelling all over the place. Because a lot of Germany was... was <clears throat> Like basically like wild forests. And wild stuff. forest, yeah. I mean, it's still, you, know, you know, a lot of it still is. It's it's yeah. very very uh, um, foresty. Foresty. I was trying to think of the word. Um, arboreal. I don't know. There's a word anyway. Foresty. Foresty. Yeah. Very, very foresty. foresty. Very foresty terrain. So, <laughs> so the Pope makes him. Now get this. You'll like this word. He makes him the legate for the Scandinavian mission. Legate, yeah. Legate, yeah. yeah. That's a so, good word. That's a good Roman word. Good, that. solid Roman word makes him the legate for the Scandinavian mission. So he basically says, all of that wild stuff up north, yeah. you're responsible for that now. The legate is the officer in charge of a legion. Yes. So he's now got no legion. Mm-hmm. He has no helpers because his last one was splunduli by pirates. Yep. He's got him and the Pope's going... Go, go, child, go and do the thing. Go into the Northmen, make that whole North End Christian. I'll hear back from you next week, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Piece of cake. Yeah, no. Not quite. And he also, to sweeten the deal, gives him an abbey as a base. Turnholt Abbey. Okay. Very nice. Basically means that he's got an income because the abbey is collecting taxes in. Tides and Tides, taxes... It can produce wealth, which means he's then got movable wealth to go and hire monks, to get books copied, to get chalices, equipment, to take them up north to have the resources and the logistics to do what he needs to do in the north of Europe. The Pope also gives him the official title Apostle in the North or Apostle of the North. Oh, that's an official thing. That's an official thing. You know, here is an abbey. Here is a title. Go, go convert all those 
horrible northern Northmen heathens who are horrible Northmen heathens. Because I can't remember whether I mean you you told me and I can't remember whether it was in the in the last episode or just just in you know because we we talk to each other you know most most days anyway yeah. um, like every now and again every memos. now and again. Um, Stick them to the fridge. Even when we're not recording, we still yeah. we still talk to each other. We do. And I remember you telling me that disciple, as in Jesus's disciples, were people who f- who stay there and follow and and, and, learn. and learn from yeah, the yeah. person that or whatever. Yes. Whereas an apostle is somebody who goes out. He's sent out. And I've, I've no yeah. doubt there's there's probably a, a Latin at root to the words, but yeah. I don't know it. Um, so the apostle is one who who goes out to spread the word, whereas the disciple is the one who stays yes. sort of stays at home to learn the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a very long time to figure out that there was a difference between disciple and I didn't apostle. Know. I didn't know and until you told me. Took me took me quite a while to get my head around that that difference. Mm. But he's called the apostle of the north. Okay. The one who is sent out into the north. Pope says, "Here's a nice shiny title. Here is an abbey." Oh, by the way, you're still the bishop. Now, but I... here is an abbey. Off you go. Now I think on the embassy of Vatican City or the Holy See, the Vatican City State, the embassy of the Vatican City State in London is called the Apostolic Nunclature or something. The what? Yeah, it's like because it because of the nature of the, of the Vatican City State, it doesn't have a, an ambassador in the way that, that a lot of secular states do or, you yeah, know, a lot of the yeah. established sort of nation states do. Nunciature? I don't know. Because from annunciation, from you know the speaking and all that kind of thing. But that's just because you were talking about apostles, it reminded me that's what. So presumably that's why that's the it's the same usage of the word because it's somebody who goes out from the Vatican City State yeah, and somebody who is out from the and Vatican speaks the word of yeah. the Vatican in other places. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Okay, okay. It's carry on. Sorry. So he's got funds. He's been <clears throat> gifted an abbey. He's got. A uh, a power and financial base to start getting into the north mm. better than he did the first time round. Hopefully. But Emperor Louis, who is the guy right at the very beginning, yeah, 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 who sends him to Denmark in the first place, he dies and funds basically dry up for his mission in the north. Okay. And then it goes a really bit Pete Tong. Right. More Pete Tongier than your benefactors kind of dying on you Tong, and therefore Tonga Tongist tong, Tongist it is very very Tongist it's Tongist seriously Tongist okay because Hamburg Bremen his nice big sea in the middle of Germany his bishopric seat yeah his kind of pride and joy his little wee bit of of home where he does his thing and he's got people and he's got you know school hospital whatever it is yeah. all the way around there I don't know. Maybe the Northmen were feeling a wee bit kind of left out because he hadn't been to see them in a little while. They kind of arrived to pay him a visit. And they arrive in very large numbers and they get a little bit rampant. And they kind of... Boisterous. Yeah. A little bit kind of, you know, maybe they let loose a bit too much. Anyway, kind of come the morning after, they kind of wake up from drunken slumber and Hamburg is rubble. The whole town is burned and raised to the ground it's flattened everything his church his bishopric his sources of income everything is gone he's really not having a good time of it is he he does not have a good time of it so he kind of like what did we do last night because it's kind of flattened 
This is not like, you know, a traffic cone and a pink flamingo and a pair of women's waders and a passport job. This In the is, name of Emily Birkenstein. This is, yeah, no, this is way beyond Emily Birkenstein. This is the whole town is flattened. Everything of value has been taken away. The, the Northmen have raided his I don't, town. I don't mean to sound on this heathen podcast mm-hmm. like I'm siding against the heathens. Yeah. But that's actually quite sad. We, we, we just got a bit enthusiastic, that's all. I know. Got a bit carried away. It's, just, it's, it's quite sad. Give I mean, us a dustpan and brush and a tube of soup. We'll put it back together. It'll be fine. I mean, regardless of what the church is or is not doing, you know, hospitals, schools. Yeah, everything. Schools, educational. But, yeah, the yeah. works. Well, that's a shame. But it, anyway, go The on. whole town gets raided and it gets flattened. This is the sort of thing that happens in medieval times. It Let's is. Let's face it. It is. So he sees 13 years of work in the sea of Hamburg, in his bishopric seat, go completely. Mm. It's gone. Mm. After that, he can't make any more trips to the north because he's got no money to fund expeditions to the north. So Sweden and Denmark revert back to paganism. Okay. this is about 847. Sort of like an elastic band, just going twang. Snap. Yeah, back to paganism again. Yeah. Undeterred. As always. Come, Kiff. Come. (laughs) Let's go back to Denmark. Because that went so well the first time round. So he goes back to Denmark and he converts a king to Christianity. Fair dues. And so he's starting that top-down conversion again. You flatten my town, I'll convert your king. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite sure how. He then... Balance. ...asks to go back into Sweden and asks the king of Sweden if he can send missionaries back into Sweden. And the king's like, oh, actually, we're kind of doing fine with our paganism, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But there's one older guy in the king of Sweden's court that says, well, actually, maybe we should, you know, just give this new religion a chance. Our old gods aren't doing us too well at the moment. Let's see. Let's okay. be fair about it. Let's do it. Now, the text records that they cast lots All to right. decide whether the missionaries can go back into Sweden, the Christian missionaries can go back into Sweden and start creating communities and doing conversions or not. Okay. Now, I'm not wholly sure whether to cast lots means to vote. Right, yeah. Whether it's voting within the court, whether it's voting across the kingdom, whether it's the fact that they have a an oracle there and they cast runes. Mm-hmm. They cast some other kind of lot. Whether it's whether it's a case of polling the, the you know, the, the, the people in there just in that group room. or whatever yeah or whether it's taking i mean when when somebody says cast lots with me it, it, that to me is you know when you do the the, the several long sticks and a short stick thing mm-hmm. and you, you know you, straws, you, yes. you draw straws to try and decide who's going to do something that to me, to me that that is kind of what yeah. i think but it, it's probably more accurate to think of it as to take could be take an augury yeah take it, an augury it could be an what? augury it could be an oracle it could be a democratic vote mm. i don't know mm. But it says they cast lots, and the result of that meant that the missionaries were allowed to go back into Sweden and start doing their thing. Okay. So, you know, he's starting to get missionaries. He's being able to send them back. He's rebuilding his town. He's doing what he needs to do. Yeah. And in February 865, so he's 64 years old. Okay. He's travelled to Rome. He's travelled to Sweden, he's travelled to Denmark, he's gone from France, he's gone into Germany, he's pretty much gone everywhere. He's pretty much covered mainland All Europe, hasn't he? over the place. Yeah. He dies peacefully at Bremen. He didn't come to Britain? He did not come to Britain. 
But then it's out, outside the Schengen area. It would have been all sorts of paperwork and yeah, all that Just stuff. Doesn't photograph for his passport. So <laughs> I'm saying it's not a good look for him. It's that whole kind of halo aura thing. It doesn't work well on cameras. After he dies, Sweden, the missionaries in Sweden have a much tougher time of it, and Sweden reverts to paganism again. Again. Yeah. Again. So it doesn't quite stick. They're resilient. Paganism is resilient. Paganism in Swiss, is resilient. In, in, That's in why I said, you know, Switzerland. Is, What's Switzerland is, got to do with anything? I don't know. This is why I was saying that the. The conversion between paganism and Christianity, the, the religions coexist alongside each other and areas go backwards and forwards. This mm. is all the influence of one man. Yeah. There are thousands of people living in Europe at this time. Yeah. So you can imagine that the situation at a local level, at a, a royal court level, you can imagine you've got neighbours of other religions that yeah. are just intermingling all over the place. Not to mention you're going to have... complicated. Not to mention you're going to have several... You know, you're gonna have quite a quite a lot of people doing what he's doing. Yeah. You know that we haven't had so many such so detailed records left to, yeah. for us, or what have you. I mean, but we can we can we can infer that there are there are other people doing the same thing in different areas. So, but this is what's always troubled me, and this is this is opinion. I, mm. I I grant, but you know, this is what's always troubled me a little bit about the the sort of standard modern pagan viewpoint, which is that. You know, Christianity was was enforced in Europe. It was it was imposed on Europe by yeah. the sword. There and I, some yeah, there's certainly obviously yeah, el yeah. elements of that, especially in later. Um, but it it seems Charlemagne and Saxons cough. Yeah, but it seems to me to be more the case that the enforcement by the sword comes after Christianity has been adopted for a lot in a lot of cases it seems to be more sort of this is how we're going to enforce the the continuation of it or enforce specific yeah. interpretations of it or what have you whereas actually a lot of the initial conversion seems to have been more you know whether it's sort of top down or bottom up or whatever but it seems to have been more kind of hmm this seems like a good idea let's give this a try or even yeah. you know at the, at the most basic level it'll be a case of this will give us an advantage of some sort, maybe a political advantage, or you know, yeah. this will buy us allies or whatever. But it seems to be more a case of it was it, the initial uptake mm. seems to have been much more sort of. Um, uh, it's very fluid. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, kind <laughs> of, but much more sort of voluntary than. Yeah. Than I think a lot of uh, modern I mean, pagan is, culture seems to seems to sort of assume. This is essentially these countries are going from Christianity to paganism to Christianity to paganism to Christianity mm. to paganism in thirty years. Yeah, they're swapping from one to the other, and it's it's recorded down uh, Rimbolt, his his long suffering aide, who basically I've got an image of him trailing after this guy who's going. Yes, I think we'll go back to that horrible northern place full of big spiky people again. Constantly going oh. like, yes, your grace. Okay, fine, let's do it. <laughs> Let me just go and like pack the cold <laughs> remedies and some extra socks and I'm with you and we're gone. He writes down, um, Rimbolt writes down everything about Ansgar in a book that he very cleverly and cunningly calls The Life of Ansgar, the Vita Ansgari. Okay. In Latin. It's a fair, it's a fair title. It is a fair title. And he writes everything down. Mm-hmm. And you might think this poor guy is just destined to stay a, a monkish pleb forever and ever and ever because he's had to sit in the shadow of this guy zooming about all over the place. Yeah. 
But he actually becomes a bishop in his own right. And after Ansgar dies, he becomes the bishop of Hamburg-Bremen. Good. After Ansgar dies. Good. Now, I'm glad he does all right for himself. He does do all right for himself. Now, the reason that we know about the life of Ansgar is that we have copies of it. Okay. But we have copies of it that date to the 10th century. Now, Ansgar is like 801. Wait. I was going to say, that's, that's like 100 years later. At least. So... If you go and read the life of Ansgar and you're thinking, oh, well, this has got to be a contemporary document because he's describing what Ansgar is doing, you know, day-to-day things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind that the oldest copy we have is 10th century. We have a like handful of copies of things that are later than that, mm. but the oldest one we have is 10th century. Do you know that... Do- I sometimes have to have to just stop and remind myself of the timescales involved here. I mean, 10th century... Yeah. Even... To think about Christopher Columbus, mm-hmm. you're going on another four or five hundred years from there. Yeah. You know, I, I, sorry, I just, I, it just trying to get the time scale. Yeah, your head. just saying that it, it just it just makes me. It's like it's like the thing about again, like, quick diversion, but it's like the thing that all, I always just absolutely blows my mind is imagine Cleopatra and Caesar mm-hmm. in Egypt. They're on, you know, imagine them on, on Cleopatra's barge on the Nile. Doing their thing. And they're, 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 they're sailing down the Nile. They're doing their, they're, they're, they're sort of uh, negotiating or whatever it is they're, they're, they're about. Oh, or negotiating. Negotiating is what we call it in polite in circles. Commas. Yes. Yeah, okay, fine. A right good negotiation. Thank you. And they look at the pyramids. And the pyramids were as far back in their past as they are in ours. Oh. Yeah, doesn't it? Ooh, yeah. Maybe even older. But the Gah. point is, it just it makes you realise just how how distributed in time things actually are, and it's well, yeah. The I mean, scaling this, is this document, the oldest version we have of Rimbolt's Life of Ansgar, is a thousand years old. Wow, get your head around that because wow. they're talking, and although he's talking about a character who can be historically attributed. Mm-hmm. We know Ansgar existed. Yeah. Keep in mind that if you read the life of Ansgar, Rimbolt is not writing his chronicle for the love of it. No. He's writing that chronicle for a very specific reason. And he talks a lot about Ansgar's sanctity. Okay, yeah. How pious he is, how good he is with kiddies and small fluffy animals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How much he farts rainbows, maybe not, but... How much Probably, yes. he does his thing and what visions he has. Ansgar's life is punctuated by visions that tell him to do certain things. Okay. And that's why Rimbolt says, that's why he's reasoning, I must go to the north because I've been told to go north. Yeah, because of yeah. this divinely inspired vision that I have been given, my life has to go to the north. Okay. Into the Northmen. Indeed brick wall where i will bring enlightenment and yeah yeah Enlight- sorry i was gonna i was gonna follow that up with that. i couldn't think of another word <laughs> yeah so rimbold is writing this document to to show you how awesomely good ansgar is he right. wears a hair shirt he just drinks bread and water he dresses barefoot and kisses small children which is probably not such a good idea in the middle ages but he does it he's doing all of these kind of good politician things and they're using... It's never a good idea to kiss anybody in the Middle Ages. I mean, it's like, you know, they had... They had all sorts of... You know, they had, like... 
plague? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not to put too fine a point on it, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he's writing this document to prove how utterly fabulously holy and sanctified Ansgar is. He receives divinely inspired visions. He is to be, uh, what's the word? Not beautified, the other word. Beatified. Beatified. I prefer my idea better. It's a whole like, you know, lipstick and eyeliner thing going on. It's only one you out, if you see what I mean. He's to receive beatification. Yeah. To be considered a saint, Mm -hmm. you must have at least two chronicled miracles yes. that are attributed to you and you alone. Yep. Ansgar, according to Rimbolt's Life of Ansgar, Ansgar performed miracles, but he didn't like anybody to know about them. Let's see how humble he is. I that you see, that's Yeah. That's awkward though, isn't it? Because slightly awkward. I mean Ansgar was never angling for being all beautiful. Mm. But beatified, <laughs> yes. Beatified. But Rimbolt's account is basically then the primary evidence that they take to the Pope. Right. And the Pope at the time then went, yes, after he died, Ansgar becomes Saint Ansgar. And the Pope didn't go, right, and who's this Rimbolt character? Because we're resting a lot on what he's said here. Well, no, because he's he's another monk of the church at this point. He's, you know, a good and honest he's churchman. An ex- he's an expert witness. And he's an expert witness because he's been traipsing around blooming Europe after yeah, Ansgar yeah, for yeah, the past yeah. decade and a half. So he becomes Saint Ansgar. So especially if you look at pages of Catholic saints, you will find Saint Ansgar, Apostle of the North. Awesome. Yeah. It still reminds me of Zap Brannigan. <laughs> and Kiff. Saint Zap. Saint Zap. <laughs> Running around medieval Northern Europe, avoiding all the pointy ends of the swords and the rampaging hordes and the wolves and the bears and everything but else. But at least we know as a good churchman. He was a good churchman. As a good churchman, he wouldn't have been bothering Leela too much. He possibly wouldn't. I don't know. But it's not even, written. Even if it is Velour. Please don't do that again. Okay, That sorry. was really creepy. Sorry. God. <laughs> So, yeah, if you look at list of Catholic saints, you will find Saint Ansgar, Apostle of the North. Nice. He had a pretty amazing life for somebody in the Middle Ages. He's travelling all over the place. He probably, he knew his reading and writing. He probably knew at least French, German, Latin. Probably picked up, living in these countries for two or three years, he's probably starting to pick up some of the languages as well. Yeah, yeah. But he's making those journeys in the Middle Ages. And he's and it sounds from, from what you say, it sounds as though he's he's had a a fairly big hand in in shifting mm, he's shaped I mean, Sweden didn't look at Christianity again until Christian missionaries came back a couple of hundred years after right. Ansgar. But he was the first big name to take the faith into the north. And I like his story because it shows how utterly complex the whole period is. Yeah, and this is, yeah, this is the the, the, the thing that sort of strikes me. Like I say, like I was saying earlier, it's it's we it's easy to fall into this pattern of thinking right, and then yeah, Christianity paganism. happened and paganism yeah. went away. Yeah, so um, you turned off the light and you went from one faith to the other overnight. But yeah, you've still got. I mean, the church and state at this time in Europe are incredibly intertwined so they're heavily into state politics Mm -hmm. so separating church and state doesn't really fully happen in Britain until about Henry VIII so the 15th century Henry, the last um, bits of those vestiges of state power 
split yeah. uh, from the state and are given to the church, rather. Yeah. But here you've got political power plays being based on faith. Mm. And he's trying to go in to do these top-down conversions, and they are not taking. No. You know, even they'll, when he's they'll, they'll settle in for a little while. Yeah, and, and then, then they'll just fade out. Yeah. Or, you know, after he dies, the whole country reverts back to paganism for another couple of hundred years before Christian manage, you know, before Christian ministries come back into it again. Mm. So the whole process is hugely complicated, and his is one life out of thousands that are going on at the time, yeah. all the way across Europe. I like his life because it shows what can be achieved in 60 years. Yeah. What you can do and what is then recorded about you and how it's recorded and if, what is done after you've died. If you are enough of a believer. And I say that carefully. I'm not talking mm. necessarily about, you know, this is not, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Christian person. This is not about, you know, if you have faith in, in the Lord or whatever. But no. if you believe in what you are doing. He... Yeah, he you know, totally did. He had, in theory, he had divine visions. Yeah, he was sent places. And I mean, he it may well be that he, he 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 genuinely believed that he had had that yeah that that inspiration or whatever from 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 on high or, or however you he could saw say, it. Well, his chronicler was embellishing things as Maybe. to the reason why they had to tramp a thousand miles up the blooming country yeah. to go see a king somewhere else. So I like. His example of a life is one that helps me understand the relationships between heathenism, pagan, the native paganism at the time in Northern Europe, and yeah. the incoming Christianity, which is still finding its feet as a faith mm. and is very, very heavily intertwined with the European politics of the time. Yeah. And trying to balance all of those levels, you've got this one life doing all of those things. Mm. And this one chronicler trailing after him with a bucket full of paper going hang on a minute what have you just done right write that down what have you just said write that down i don't but see he, what he's oh, never mind i'll i'll just i'll i'll put something in that sounds good yeah <laughs> so it's i don't know it's this kind of amazing thing to sorry rimbolt i'm being terribly unfair <laughs> to you there but yeah it's a very i don't know that one life the life of ansgar kind of illuminates for me how complex this whole process is of yeah converting Europe from one religion to another in a place where you have kings yeah, and you have a hundred different kings some of which are recognised some of which are exiled, some of which are at war with other kings, so if you convert one then the other one won't convert because that's the religion of his enemy Yeah, but he's fallen in love with his daughter so therefore they can do a marriage pact but that means she's got to bring a monk and an abbot with her and then you've got to convert <sighs> And it's also it complicated. Very, very complicated indeed. So, lovely listeners, we are going to leave you around at the virtual campfire with a head full of complication. <laughs> and I'm going to go have a coffee and a bun. I don't blame you. <laughs> so, if you would like to find us online, you can find me. My name's Suzanne Martin. I am on Facebook as Suzanne Martin, or I'm on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. And if you want to find me, probably the best way to do it is through you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, Come and say hi, throw us a friend request. We love talking shop. Yeah. I mean, I am. We're not going to tell you how to heathen because nobody can tell you how to heathen. You just haven't said it in ages, have you? I haven't said it. I needed to get it in this time. I haven't said it. 
can't tell you how to heathen. No. But we can say, have a look at this, this and this and find your own way through it. And I especially can't tell you how to heathen because I don't know how to heathen. You can um, tell us how to coffee, though. I can tell you how to coffee. That's certainly true. That's good. Um, but yeah, if you want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to, to, to talk to folk, as I say. I just... I have to. I have to sort of defer to you to be the, con- the, con- the contact point. That's all. That's all good. So come and find us if you want to have a natter. You want to have a chat. You just want to hang out with a mad heathen and a coffee-powered druid. All good. We're right on the end of a direct message or a Facebook message or whatever. Yeah, it's all good. Lovely listeners, we're going to leave you with those thoughts, and we will talk to you all next time for episode sixty-nine. 69. Wow. I know. Alrighty. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.